0: The question is this. What is it that has some of us find our way to the top of our game, to overcome adversity and challenges, resistance and self-sabotage, to rise from the ashes time and time again? What is it that has everyday people just like you and I act boldly in the name of their passions and live out their wildest dreams in this lifetime? That is the question. And this podcast has the answers. My name is Carrie McCauley, and this is Choose Unstoppable. Hello, and welcome to Choose Unstoppable. My name is Carrie McCauley, and today we are joined with or by, I suppose, Lila Glasso Francesi. Lila is a multi talented entrepreneur with dozens of accolades and awards. Like the bio on her is really incredible. To sum it up, it ranges from providing character voices for Family Guys, she's also been uh, you know, uh, very involved in the theater, to having her interior designs featured in Archi- Architectural Digest. So a wide array, and I promise you there is a lot that fits in the middle there, but her latest success was the launch of her first book, and that is called The Situation, A Radical Journey Through Sisterhood. Lila is no stranger to overcoming adversity and is with us today to share her story of unimaginable resilience. So Lila, welcome, and thank you so much for being here.
1: Oh, thank you for having
0: me. (laughs) It's an honor. It's truly my pleasure. Um, I don't know a lot about your story, so I will be kind of on the edge of my seat along with everyone at home here today. And if I could, I mean, I have a little insight to what your book is about, but that's really going to be kind of the focus of our conversation today and your journey um, of resilience through that. So if I could ask you to kind of take us back to the beginning, just to kind of break the suspense for everyone listening at home, the beginning of that situation, which you actually call the situation. And just walk us through that a little. And then we can talk a bit more about the book itself after.
1: Yes. So, you know, I am a Midwest girl, grew up in Minneapolis, and I had a wonderful, beautiful relationship with my sister. We're very close in age. So, we sort of went through all of life's uh, highs and lows of sisterhood at the same time. Um, we went to the same high school. She was there for my first date. I was there mm-hmm. for hers. Uh, we teased each other. We did. We got in trouble with our parents together. Um, she actually introduced me to my husband uh, in my 20s. And my husband uh, actually knew her husband. Their families knew each other for five generations. Wow. So. <laughs> We really had a nice little life in Southern California that we had set up. Um, my sister had purchased the house across the street from me. So she had one boy, I have one girl, so we could have our kids grow up together. And then one day she started acting strange and she was, we were doing homework with the kids in my kitchen. She had actually moved into my guest house because her house was being demoed, her new house across the street. They were gutting it and making it, you know, how they wanted it. And she couldn't spell simple words for her seven-year-old son to help him with his homework. And I said, what's going on with you? She denied anything was going on with her. She was a pretty well-known art dealer uh, who traveled around the world to cultivate art collections for her Mm -hmm. clients. And I thought, this is really odd behavior. It just got more bizarre and more bizarre that day. And I finally brought her husband into it and said, you know, Chris, something's going on with, with Carolyn. And long story short they convinced her to go to the emergency room and they said there was a brain tumor a few days later she started to have what's called a brain bleed so they had to operate right away and when they took out the tumor they realized it was glioblastoma brain cancer which is terminal brain cancer and so far no one has has lived from glioblastoma from that diagnosis so our i want to say our almost perfect world was rocked. Can
0: I ask how old you guys were at this point? She was
1: 46 and I was 44.
0: Okay.
1: So this is just five years ago. And it was, it was, you know, you go through, I think like the stages of grief right away when things like that happen, like, you know, you're in denial of it. Then you're, you know, when you finally reach acceptance, you can't quit crying about it. It was, It rocked the world. And one of the things that I started doing, which is why I wrote the book, is I started journaling because I felt like there was so much I wanted to say, but I didn't want to say it to her because she was also deeply upset, you know, because part of her brain was functioning normally, but part of it was not functioning normally. Like she had trouble with names. She had trouble with adding numbers. And that was frustrating So basically, I I journaled, and then after I had gone to visit a very good friend of mine who's a a news producer, and he said, "What are you writing?" Because I was journaling while I was there, and I said, "You know, I'm I'm writing a journal about this journey with Carolyn." And he said, "Can I see it?" (laughs) I and you know his one of his parents was ill at the time, and I think he thought like, "Wow, would this Mm -hmm. be a tool to help me?" And I said, "Of course, you can see it." And um, he looked at it and he said, "You know." this is so cool but so depressing and i really think if you added chapters from your life and really that wonderful sister love that you guys had together into the into this you could make a book and so that's how the book became born so the book journeys basically from the time of diagnosis to the time of my sister's passing And every other chapter is memories from one to 46 years old that we had together and that we shared as sisters.
0: I mean, first and foremost, obviously, I'm so sorry to hear about your sister and so grateful that you had so much rich time together. I know what it's like to lose someone and as tragic as it is the fact that you have that time and those memories, I just, you know, it, it warms my heart and I'm I'm grateful that your story went, you know, at at least started uh, that way. But if I can kind of go back to those, like since the diagnosis though, that 14 months, right because yeah, you know this podcast is called Choose Unstoppable and it really is about shining a light on the human spirit and how we can endure you know the most uh, just you know tragic circumstances and what can we do to get through um you know I'd shared in your intro that you're an entrepreneur and you've been in so many different fields and so many different things what were you doing what did your life look like at the time this happened because i can only assume it wasn't just home waiting for a bomb like that to drop.
1: Right. So I was about eight years into, um, the design house I opened that does a lot of interior design and home staging. And, you know, I had jobs, I had a job booked the next day after diagnosis. And, you know, when you've had a company for eight years and I didn't have really any employee changes, my whole staff was affected by diagnosis. So it was also about how do I get my staff through this? Cause like my my lead stager at the time was one of also my sister's best friends. Mm-hmm. And then how do I get our family through this? And how do I get myself through this? So really we're talking about coping, being resilient as you know, for myself, for kids and for, and for my staff. And um it was it was uh that moment in life was a little bit of autopilot, I want to say, like for a while, because you do sort of exist in that world of denial for a while. Like, um, you know, well, I know there's never been anyone that has lived from this, but my sister was such a a badass, if I can say that. Mm -hmm. She was so groundbreaking in her field that I thought, you know, if someone's going to be the first person to survive from this, it, it would make sense. It would be her and maybe that's our lesson in it, right? That we're going to show other people how to do this. So for a while, you believe that, and Mm -hmm. you just sort of, you know, you're in uh, just autopilot. I would get up, I swim on the master swim team. So I would get up and swim at 5am. I would get home when the kids were waking up, make breakfast, make snacks. My husband would take them to school on his way to work. Then, you know, I would have her and then get her breakfast and um, you know, she had a little routine. So staying in routine actually was kind of good Mm -hmm. because it was, it allowed me to slowly get to what I say is like the first step of being resilient. And that was true acceptance. You know, like I accept the situation. This is our new reality. And it took a while to get there. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It probably took about six months to really get there. What is that? Is
0: it just time that, that, breeds that kind of acceptance or was there anything that y- you did or if someone found themselves in it, or is in that position now it, it, like is it just just hold on until that washes over you or i think there is a just
1: hold on and see what happens with you know what's really interesting about my book is it's now in 45 medical libraries and mm-hmm. sometimes people reach out to me and i had a conversation the other day with a woman in boston and you know, I said, I want to have a really raw conversation with you because no one had this with me. And I think it will help you move on to that second step. And I said, has anyone told you he's not going to live about her husband? And just having someone say that to you, like no one says that, you know, people say, oh, if anyone can beat this, this is, she Mm -hmm. can do it, or we're going to get through this. One, they don't understand maybe a terminal diagnosis is different than other cancer that you can treat, but it's also just people don't know what to say, you know? And so I think a a big thing is like accepting for ourselves to say it, um, then we're able to cope with it and, and then we're able to move on and help, you know, our families. So, um, I feel like once I accepted it, then I was able to be like, okay, this sucks I need support. (laughs) Yeah. I have to also take care of myself. I mean, I didn't even realize that, you know, my husband had been like, you know, you're not eating. Like, I didn't even realize that. I've never been like that. I will, you know, I've never been so upset that I didn't eat, Mm. but I wasn't, you know, it was like, okay, you know, keep swimming. The swimming was great. It was like my meditation in the morning. It's like the team sport that you actually Mm. do alone. Lots of Mm. thoughts, lots of thinking. But really, you know, being able then to say how do I provide self-care for myself and, and how do I, how, now that I know that this is going to happen, what's like important to me about that, you know, um, and, and how do I f- ask for support if I need it, which I did. So the, my lovely friends, um, Shelly and Lisa, who were working with me at the time, if I needed a break, I'd say, hey, can one of you come here because I didn't want to leave my sister alone. Um, I just need to run to the grocery store. I
0: need to take a walk you know? Yeah. You had mentioned kind of these seven steps. Um, yeah. Can you just expand on that a little bit? I don't know if it's too much to ask you to go through them. No, yeah, I'd, I'd
1: love to. Yeah. So I always think like psychology today has, you know, like seven steps to resilience or whatever, mm-hmm. but I think like, and there's a million different steps, you know, they have like Some have 10 steps, some have five, some have seven. It depends whose article you're reading. Mm. So I really, you know, one way that I really helped myself get through this situation was reading as much as I could. And actually, one of the reasons I also wrote the book is there hadn't been a book written about someone dealing with glioblastoma. There were only articles at the time. I sort of went through those lists and did my journal and my writing and came up with things that I felt got me through that lowest point in my life. And then also kind of after that lowest point was over, like I had survived it, helped me bounce back into life. So I already mentioned one and two. Mm-hmm. One is acceptance. It's easy to feel to feel overwhelmed, but part of accepting is letting it out. I cried my head off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, you know, I just really can like told myself, this is what's happening. This is my new reality. I'm accepting this. Two is self-care. And that's also identifying sources of support, like swimming was for me or asking Shelly or Lisa to Mm -hmm. step in so I could have a little bit of time off. And then three is sharing then what you're going through with others. We're so, I think, conditioned to say, hey, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. You know, but if someone's like, no, really, how are you doing? This is really hard. To be able to say, you know, this is really hard. I might not be able to help volunteer in my kid's classroom, or I might need a little extra time to finish designing this home. But just sharing our struggle um, helps us show that we're resilient because we're saying Mm -hmm. what we need Mm -hmm. and we're asking for what we need. Um, Four is helping others. So I really you know, made, my sister made some hospital friends. I want to say that, um, we would see and just checking in with them. How are you doing? can you know, do you guys also need anything from me helping the kids get through it? Cause this can be really scary for children. Our, our kids were seven and nine. Oh. Um, so, you know, helping them through it. And also, you know, I noticed about our husbands, like men don't talk like women do we're on the phone. This is terrible. Will you have a glass of wine with me? Let's talk about this. Let's get it out. I actually called my brother-in-law's male friends and said, can, can you take him out for a beer? Like he needs your support as much as she does. And, you know, men are happy to do that, but sometimes they need that encouragement. Um, I found out, um, finding humor was huge. That's my fifth step. Um, I can't tell you the amount of irreverent humor in our house. Like Carolyn couldn't, probably by the end of her treatment, she probably had a 60 word vocabulary Mm. and we would joke that like, no one will ever beat us at charades. (laughs) (laughs) So we got so good at, you know, she would even laugh about it. So, you know, finding humor in those low moments is so Mm. important because that also helps you bounce back, you know, that helps get you through. If there's an even even course of laughter and tears, God, that's amazing. And then um, six is labeling yourself as a survivor. So 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 often we say, oh well, she survived, um, you know, brain tumor removal, or they sur- they survived, you know, a mastectomy, or we're talking about the people that we're taking care of. You also have to say, I'm a survivor. I survived 14 months of this person having erratic moods from being on steroids, of feeding them when they didn't want to eat, of taking care of their children, of taking care of their spouse. You have to say, I survived this too. Mm -hmm. The last one is, number seven, is finding meaning. This has been my favorite part. I mean, part of it, of course, was helped by the book, but I actually feel like I can say that I live at a higher frequency than I did before this happened. Mm -hmm. And now when we talk about my sister, you know, for five years, honestly, it was just crying anytime her name came up and, you know, with everybody. Now we talk about her and we laugh. I helped develop an art foundation in her name, the Carolyn Glasso Bailey Foundation, which also has a free education initiative called the Ojai Institute, And seeing her um, love of art and her support of artists continue on through there Mm. is amazing. And it's, would I have started an art foundation ever before this diagnosis? No. So that's living at a higher frequency. Would I have written a book? No. That's living at a higher frequency. Would I be on the phone with people who are trying to navigate their own family journey Mm. through glioblastoma, helping them out? No. So I think if we can find the meaning and also say, I'm now living at a higher frequency. I I love one time I heard a thing by Brene Brown, where she said, when you delve into your own uh, journey, you hit the universal. Mm. And I, you know, I think about that all the time. You know, we have commonality with other humans sharing our stories, but also sharing our strength and sharing um, the ending of where our stories led us.
0: Thank you for sharing all of those. Powerful and beautiful, like the the sentiment of finding humor because there can be a lot of times where you would think like now's not the time to, even for ourselves encourage levity or humor. but it is such an important part of, you know, just cracking open uh, a little. Um, if there were someone at home listening in at the moment who is faced with their darkest window, I mean, it doesn't have to be a similar situation, but just faced with the darkest window they've yet to endure, what would you say to them?
1: I would say that, and really this is what I think the book speaks to. You don't have to have like cancer diagnosis or even a sister to read it. The book speaks to the depth of relationships we have in our life and the always seeking for deep understanding and deep relationship and and for someone to deeply understand us. So I would say to that person, don't focus on the thing that's happening to you right now. Focus on the depth around you, the depth of love, the depth of maybe... um, you know, research on, on what you're going through the, you know, all the options that you have, think of that and think of all of those things that are going to help navigate you through. Because if we just think of like, all that's bad, we are so stopped as humans, you know, we have to have that forward energy. We have to, we have to think of like, how will all that relate? And we also don't have to know an ending. We can, we can, we can just go through the journey and let it lead us. I certainly, what I imagined as the ending of my sister's life was not how it ended. And, but at some point I just let myself go day by day by day and did, you know, it's so cliche, but I did the best I could every day. And I learned the most I could every day. And I tried to have, um, let people in my life know that their relationship to us and to our family was meaningful every day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Can you, I mean, just thank you. I'm so grateful for you being someone who's out sharing your story, sharing your wisdom, kind of, you know, you've walked over those coals and it's, you know, a a gift to turn around and share with other people what that looked like for you, what some of those lessons were for you. Uh, specifically about writing the book, about something um, so trying, you you would imagine. But I don't want to put those words in your mouth. What was that experience like turning such a, um, you know, cherished and heartbreaking window into a book?
1: There was, you know, uh, like the last chapter, I took six months off writing because mm-hmm. I, I just couldn't write it. It was too raw. And then finally, one day, I I, I think I had uh, two glasses of wine and I sat down and I wrote it. Um, one thing that happened too is my mother, who is almost 80, uh, before I had my professional editor edit it, she and I read through the whole book. She's a, a very, very smart woman. And so we would do like maybe five chapters at a time just to go over like, is there something that's not clear? Is there some grammar that's wrong? My spelling's terrible because, you know, mm-hmm. we grow up in the, generation of typing with spell check. So just having it so it would be a really well presented book before I showed it to the professional editor. Um, so that was actually a wonderful thing that happened with me and my mother. Uh, I mean, we uh, you know, it's still emotional to talk about because we because we we cried together for many, many hours, but it was cathartic, you know, it was it definitely, just purged all of those needed feelings. Um, And then the chapters where they were fun memories of our youth, you know, it was a very intimate book, like my mom found out, you know, (laughs) that I used to dress up and buy liquor as a teen, pretending I was an older woman with with the voiceovers I do. (laughs) It revealed a lot of our secrets, and I actually sent a copy to my best friend's mom in Cleveland with a note that said, Dear Linda, I'm sorry about Chapter 37. (laughs) I got her her daughter in trouble too, you know? Um, But so it was, it was all of those things. And I think that's the thing, if we're willing to open up our intimate stories, you know, I love one thing my editor said to me, my Jenny Davis, who is my professional editor on it, who's an amazing lady is she said, I said, is this okay to say like, this is so bad. Like, I feel like I look like I'm crazy in this chapter. And she said, Lila, don't make a messy story neat. You know, we want to know other people are messy. There's a, there's a part in the book where I, I wake up and I just see a wine glass and it's kind of tipped over by my bed. And I'm like, since when do I go to bed with red wine? Like, who, who am I? That was like the load. I don't even remember it, you know? Mm-hmm. It's okay. Like, yeah. you know?
0: I love that you, I love that line, first of all, don't make a, don't make a messy story neat. Uh, I think there's so much packed into that one sentence that as um, humans somehow we've like got such big corners of shame and what we shouldn't talk about and so as we start to hide our stories from the world we're really hiding ourselves from the world we're adding shame onto who we are and the things that we've done uh, and the the art and the act of sharing them with others is just freeing and honoring at the same time to be like, yeah. I'm okay with all of these parts and I'm okay with yours too. So courageous of you. And, but I believe more than that, so important to share the, the, the less shiny parts of ourselves and of our stories because other people are hiding. There's a way and you know,
1: one thing that I want to share that, that really also hit me is, um, I was watching an interview, you know, we've had such like unrest political times and racial times and it's COVID times and it's just been a crazy time in the world. And I saw an interview, I don't remember where, but it was with Spike Lee and he said, you know, um, I think they were asking him about Black Lives Matter and he actually was like, you know, what I do is actually about the commonality of the human existence and the one thing that we all do since the beginning of time, since the cave drawings is we all share stories, Mm. regardless of our sex, our political beliefs, our race, we all share stories. We all enjoy the sharing of one another's stories and sharing our own. And I, that just really resonated with me. You know, that's, that, that is it. We want to share our stories because then we either come at, feel like, oh, well, we're not so, we're not the odd man out. Like someone else is feeling like me or doing like me, or someone's making, inspiring me to do this or changing Mm -hmm. my mind about this, or it's just stories are so powerful. And, and I, you know, I've just gotten really excited now about when I hear someone saying, well, well, maybe I might write an article or I might write a book or, you know, or make a film or do a Mm -hmm. podcast. Like Mm -hmm. the sharing of stories are really how we are put together as people. And that is, that is a a wonderful, wonderful thing to say about humanity.
0: I, I could not agree more. I mean, I think it's the biggest gift we can offer the world is an authentic story of who we are and how we feel and what we have to offer and what we're afraid of and what breaks our heart and what makes us laugh because we are so unique. And if we would just be willing to take all of it and just share it, it is like the biggest gift you can offer anyone is just to say, this is me. And then complete 360, the biggest gift you can offer yourself is no matter how it's judged, no matter how it's received, no matter any of that, it just is all you have to give, uh, and so oh. you are doing exactly that with your book. And uh, I'm so grateful for you joining us today uh, and sharing your authentic story. Uh, you know the the good, the bad, and the ugly, which is really. You know, what life has to offer. There is no good version. <laughs> there is no perfect <laughs> pathway. So we're all kind of trying to cover up those pieces, but it's an, it's an impossible goal to have to just have the good. Uh, so yeah. thanks for being someone who's not only honoring your sister and your journey, but shining a light on others who are going through similar things that they're not so alone in their unperfect journeys as well. Thank you. So with that, how can people find this book? How can people get their hands on it? How can they learn a little bit more about you? So it's really
1: easy. The book has its own website, the dot or you can go on Amazon and there's also a big author page on there as well. And a page about the book. Um, there's a book trailer on the website and on Amazon. Um, just make sure to look it up with the whole title because there's many books called The Situation. Mm -hmm. So you have to look it up as The Situation, A Radical Journey Through Sisterhood.
0: Okay, fantastic. And I'll put the link for it in the show notes. Uh, So anybody who wants to grab a copy Uh, I will make sure that that link goes right inside the show notes. Uh, Lila, thank you again. I think I've said thank you a thousand times, but I don't feel (laughs) like it's enough. I am so grateful you took the time to be here today. Uh, For everyone listening at home, we're going to leave it there. The uh, link to the book will be in the show notes, and we will see you on the next episode. Until then, choose unstoppable. I hope this episode filled you up with inspiration and you're feeling ready to turn that into big action for some explosive growth in your business. And if that's you, then I have a free training on how to build a wildly engaged audience, get hundreds of leads in a matter of days, and even create a wildly successful launch. You can watch it right now at kerrymccauley.com backslash watch now. See the show notes for the link. And as always, thank you for tuning in. Your support means more than you could ever know. We'll see you on the next episode.